Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Come to where I'm from podcast. Mr. Corey Glover. Hey. Corey Glover. The legendary. I don't know about legendary. I know about legendary. Because <laughs> when I was in high school, I went to Cleveland to see you guys play. Where, at uh, Agora Ballroom? Or? I can't remember that. It was... Uh, <laughs> But it was like when Living Color was like the Beatles. Remember that shit? No, no. It, it, well, sort of. Yeah. Um, it was it was strange. It was a strange time. It was a really strange time when you, you guys was, blew up. Yeah, so like trying to figure out, and you know, at that point in time, we were still living at home with our parents. All of us. Really? All of us were still living at home with our parents. Why? Because we just, we it just sort of came upon us like. We didn't make it. We weren't making money. We was like, we were, when things started blowing up, we were still in vans driving across the country, basically. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't until after Vivid. No, to, like in the middle of, of touring with Vivid, and we did the the Stones tour, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "We got on a bus." That's the first time we really on a bus was on the Stones tour. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, you know, I'm me Vernon, me and Vernon living in Brooklyn, and we're still living in the Bronx, and. Muzzy was still living in Queens with all of us living with our parents. Wow! And how old were you? In our early twenties. Damn. And um, you know, and I'm still taking the subway. Right. You know, from Brooklyn coming into the city. Well, subways are all right, even when you're rich. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I know, but it's kind of weird when somebody (laughs) does that double take at you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what the fuck? And (laughs) you know. I had, you know, I had a very distinct look, so yeah. there was a... Uh, <laughs> That's true. Wearing the yellow uh, bodysuit on the subway. And his hair was I had the, had the hair. I had the hair down my, down my back. Yeah. And, you know, and even then, sometimes it was weird. Like, and, and sometimes it happens now. Like, was it yesterday? Day before yesterday is my sister's birthday. And so we went to, to lunch, my niece and my sister and I, Went to lunch, and we're eating and talking, and you know, dessert comes out. Like we 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 didn't order dessert. It's like that's for high school. <laughs> it's like, right. like like wow, like you, you made my high school. <laughs> right. You know, like, yeah. Well, thanks. You yeah, know. you're in that same realm to me as mm. well. You know, because I was right. I was in high school. Right. It's perfect timing. Yeah. You know, it was it was a very interesting time. You know, yeah. we're coming out of the '80s and all that that had in it you know like yeah. all the shit that was in that that coming out of the 80s and and the reagan era and and, and we're coming into you know it, it all the stuff that we talked about in the music was mm-hmm. was happening to us you know you know open letter to a landlord was not was somewhat biographical mm-hmm. you know to a certain degree you know um and living in those times and for it to resonate to people, mm. you know, it's just, just New Yorkers talking about New York, mm. you know, and the idea of what living in this world in in this particular time is about, and it resonated with people, and that th- that was gratifying. Yes, yeah. yeah. must have been thrilling. It was, it was, it was. And then and then you went around the country at the time, and then and then eventually around the world, and that you realize that there are people feeling the same way going through the same shit mm-hmm. and 
you sort of spoke to that. Right. You spoke. Uh, you spoke to that, and and that I'm that I'm very grateful for. I'm very grateful for the fact that they, that people actually heard us. Right. You know, I tell people all the time, um, like newer bands come and say, "What do you want? What, what should I do? What should I do?" It's like, say it loud enough till they hear you. And for us, they heard us, and that was great. Right. You know. Say it loud enough. Say it loud enough, and they'll hear you. And when, if they hear you, but what does that mean to say it loud enough? You know. You have to be resolute with it. You can't be wishy-washy. It's like, I'm going to write a song that people are going to enjoy. It's like, no, talk about yourself and say it loud enough so people hear you. And then and then they connect to that. They connect to you, the emotional aspect of where you're coming from with that particular piece of music and a piece of art that they, that they get it. And then when they hear you, it's like they have to hear you. They have to feel you. Um, and if you do it with enough, enough forcefulness and enough... Uh, resolve it's mm. you can't it's nothing but success yes yeah, success is mysterious though. it is and it is like it just comes on sometimes yeah and it seems almost effortless when it comes on I well, feel like it's it's what you fi- figure out is that you're just doing what you do yeah um it's amplified it's electrified but it's the same it's the same thoughts you had in your bedroom, in the kitchen, in the toilet, whatever it was, but you're saying it on a loudspeaker in front of people, and people go, yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Yeah, that's how I felt yeah. in the bathroom. I felt the same way, and they get it. You know, That's what you're trying to do, make sure people get it. Were you surprised by the reaction? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so. I think we thought that it was going to be a slow burn for us. Right. Like, we're gonna put out one record, and maybe it'll do something. Maybe it won't. It's okay. We've established our, we've cemented ourselves in a, in a particular spot, and then we'd move forward. And then for it to hit like it did, yeah, was kind of surprising and kind of weird, uh, because you know we had an old sort of notion as to how these things were going. We didn't realize we were working, walking our way into a new era of how people got their information. You right. know, we got we got caught up in the MTV thing, you mm. know, um, and the visuals seemed to, again, resonate with people. Um, and to see me in that lime green wetsuit sort of made people think, I guess. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. There's, there's this wild hair, these four black guys, mm-hmm. and there's a green <laughs> wetsuit. Mm-hmm. I watched it again last <laughs> night. It's just great. It's like, hmm? really? Okay. Yeah. So it stood out back it, then. It did. It did. And it, it, it did on the strength of the song as well, I think, because it wasn't, we weren't inundating you with sort of like lights and colors and strobing and stuff like that. It was like, the, the video sort of encapsulated what the song was about and the song sort of encapsulated what we do when we play it live and and that seemed to work mm-hmm. and that seemed to work for people. And, and you know, I guess that we did kind of stand out in that way. Well, you guys are totally original. Right. You know? Right. Well, you know, we've tried to figure out, um, not through any like large sort of we didn't task ourselves with like we're going to invent a new sound it's like you know vernon comes from you know a 
Mars. So, yeah, well. <laughs> Shout out Vernon Reed. Um, comes from. You know, I'm saying that in, yeah, with, yeah. with love, yeah, obviously. Yeah, because. I, he, I love the guy. But he d- does stuff. He did stuff from. So that, like the avant garde, Ornette Coleman right. sort of uh, harmonic sort of place um, with. And at the same time, he has a Caribbean background. Um, and you know, you know the one thing that was n- not really that you could always do is listen to the radio, and so there was a bunch of a bunch of information coming for you that way. Will had Will, Will studied. He went to Berkeley. He just graduated from Berkeley when we started. Mm. Um, he had you know he had a, a fusion sort of thing that he want that he was into. He was very studied in terms of the history of the music and that kind of stuff. So was Muzzy. To a large degree, you know, um, I have a sort of church background in terms of in terms of where I was singing and how I was singing. That um, sort of, and we put all that together mm. in in a rock idiom, and it just made sense to us, mm. you know, and to everybody else. <laughs> obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. That's wild. So, you, and you guys met through you auditioning, right? I met uh, Vernon at a birthday party. Oh, okay. It, um, as the story goes, I, uh, I was, I, I had, there's a girl I used to date who lived up on the Upper West Side, lived up on Central Park West, and I went, she had a birthday party. It was like her 21st, 22nd birthday party in her apart, in her parents' apartment. And she invited me to the party, and Vernon came with his sisters, who was who were friends of this girl, mm. and because they thought that you know Vernon says you know he'd come off the road. I think he was out with Joe Bowie or something like that, and he was like, and his sisters like Joe I, Bowie, is yeah. that Dave's cousin. No, 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 no. <laughs> Joe Bowie's black and from St. Louis. Um, <laughs> Still could be his cousin. David Bowie's black, <laughs> St. Louis cousin. I, you know. Um, <laughs> So trombone player, but he so he was uh he was he was like placating his sisters. Like his sister says, "You don't go out with us. You don't hang out with you anymore. Right. Why don't you come with me to this party?" Mm-hmm. So we're all there, and we don't know each other. Or I've never met him. I've, I've I know of him. I didn't know who that was. Didn't how how did you know of him? Turns out we live six blocks away from each other. That's wild. Um. And there's always, you know, the musicians in the neighborhood. You know, there's a bunch of musicians that came out of our particular neighborhood. Yeah. And Vernon was one of the people that people talked about. You know, um, you know, literally Crown Heights Affair and uh, D Train and folks from the Family Stand and all these other people that I knew, knew, knew. Like I met them. Mm. Vernon was one of the people I never met. And. Uh, so they bring out a birthday cake and they light the candles and the girl, her name was Pat, said, okay, stop. Nobody sing happy birthday. Corey's going to sing happy birthday. Right. So I did. And Vernon came up to me and was like, that was really great. That was really interesting. It was kind of, it was really interesting the way you did that. And we struck up a conversation. How did you do it? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I, um, I just sang "Happy Birthday," and were you with the hair? I didn't have the hair Nothing. yet. I didn't have the hair yet. I was I was still doing my acting thing, so I was looking very, very, very preppy. 
at mm-hmm. the time um doing uh trying to trying to be you know an in the theater as it were <laughs> right and uh so we struck up a conversation and a couple months later he calls me he's like look i'm looking for a singer for my band Do you mind coming over and listen to some songs and we'll see what happens so i went to his house six blocks away and he played me a bunch of stuff he played me i want to know he played me funny vibe he played me a bunch of stuff that i didn't that never really got on the record i was like oh this is really interesting i really like this shit this is great this is great this funny vibe got on right yeah funny vibe did get on but um so he's like you um well you know and we went over some stuff i met him a couple times he's like okay it's between you and this other guy but i'll call you either way if it doesn't if it doesn't happen. Um, so a week went by, two weeks went by, a month went by, two months went by, a third month went by, and then I get a call, phone call from Vernon. He's like, look, our singer can't make this gig. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't get the <laughs> I gig. I didn't get the gig. Damn. Um, <laughs> my, our singer can't make the gig. Can you come in and sit in? We're playing the CBs, CBGBs this Friday, this Saturday, can you come and do it? Like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do it. Guess I didn't get the gig. Like, hey, hey, I'll just do this. And Did you say that to him? Yeah. No, <laughs> what what did he say? I don't say? think he remembers any of this. No. <laughs> um, Were you home just waiting for the call? I no. was No, no, I was, I was, you know. Doing your thing. I was, at the time, I was about 19, 20 years old at the time, yeah. so I was still going to school and theater I was, I was still trying to be an actor yeah. and um so i had other things other, i had other irons in the fire so i went in and, and did the gig and the gig was great and at the time it was two different the different bass player and a, diff, and a different drummer at the time and sat in this went really really well and he's like yeah yeah we got another gig in two weeks uh why don't you come down for that one too and it turns out the guy who who art who actually got the gig decided he didn't want to do the gig mm. he wanted to go out because he was a session guy and he was a touring musician and really good singer really good like horn player he wanted to go on the road he didn't want to sit in new york city and wait for to get you know 75 bucks for a gig at cbgb's mm. so um it must have been a Rough couple years oh, for him yeah, after that. I, I don't know. I, said, <laughs> I don't. Know. He, he did. He did okay. He, he, he did. He did fine. Yeah. He did, he did fine. You know, um, and it was. It, it was. He, it, there was a little bit of a. He did have a little regret after the fact, but you know, he got over it. You right. know, um, and from I was in from then on, and then. The bass player and the drummer left, and then, uh, then Will came along, and there was another bass player for a hot second, and he left, and then Muzzy came along, and the rest is history, right? You know. But how do you? You can't just come in and fill in, and you're instantly a front man. Like it's the take. Like for you, did they? They didn't have any recordings. There was no album. What were you studying to go and live? Do the live gig? gigs, like the, the, like they had some. They had some demos that were you know kind of rough and that kind of stuff. And I went and I went and rehearsed with them for a couple oh, okay. of days, just to get just to get it right. And you know, I'm not the most studied guy in the world, you know, but. I can improvise really well. Mm. So I think that kind of thing and get me in front of people and 
it's a different animal. I'm a different person than I am, you know, walking down the street as right. a, even as an actor. Like I took it on as a role. You right. Know? I took it on. I took each song on as a character that I and I I can do character study. You know, line reading is a different story. You know. And what's the character? The character depends on the song. Like called a personality. Cult of personality is sort of, you know, it's a rant. It's really just a rant. In in the same way, we 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 see it all the time now on the news with right. somebody just going off and ranting and stuff like that. That's what I felt like I was doing. As like interesting, like uh, uh, when I recorded it, um, the vocals. I was thinking about you know those guys who stand in the corner and just spouting out shit, just mm-hmm. yelling at the top of their lungs, sitting on a soapbox, just watching people go by and saying, yeah, you were, and that's how I thought, I, that, that's how I thought it was going to be. And as I, as the song progressed and as hopefully I progressed, I realized it was like, it was very observational. I felt like Rod Serling at a certain point, like submit it for your approval. Right. <laughs> Here it is. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What's the connection with acting and music? Because so many actors go into music yeah. and, and the other way around. And the other way around, yeah. I think um, I think it, it art, it's creating. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, it's mental creation. Mm-hmm. It's major mental creation that you have to, you have to focus your mind in a certain way to, to, to fulfill a role in when you're an actor. You know, they say acting is reacting. It, it is, but it's also taking the conversation to a certain place because you're having. I'm having a conversation with the band and the audience. Mm-hmm. I'm basically interpreting what they're playing to an audience. Mm-hmm. So I'm a conduit in a in a way. And same thing with acting. You're taking the words and you're taking the scene. And you're conveying it to an to people outside outside of your own head. You're trying to give them a glimpse into your own brain, your own thinking. How do you put your head in that space? It's it at this point. It's it just goes. It just does it. It just does it. When I was younger, it was an it it took an effort. It you know, and I went to school for acting, and I went to high school for acting, went to college for acting, and I, and um the whole idea of scene study that if you take a song, take any song and you just read the words, that's one thing you couple it with the music and the music has an emotional center that you have to convey. Um, so the words coupled with, with the musical emotional state is what you're singing, you know? Mm -hmm. And that melody has to, that you're that you're giving to the audience has to convey not only the musical thing but your own personal sort of idea of it, your own opinion mm-hmm. at some point, your own emotion. Mm. Right. Are you writing the melodies for the most part? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And had you written songs before this? I had written a few songs. Never got them recorded until right. I got into Living Color. Really, yeah. you know, um, like. Middleman was a is is a has a story, you know. Um, I had written this thing because I was an angsty teenager, and this was going to be 
the this is going to be the letter they found what they found on my body when I jumped off that bridge or whatever the fuck it was I was thinking I was going to do to mm-hmm. kill myself. And this was it. Like, I'm not going to be in the middle of your bullshit. I'm tired of being in the middle of it. And then as I'm writing this thing, it's like being in the middle is where you should be. It gives you it gives you perspective. It gives you an idea of who you are within the context of that. Because if somebody's far to the left of you and someone's far to the right of you and you're in the middle of it, that reflects who you are. And that's what this, that's how the song sort of became a thing. And so it's those kind of ideas that come ac- come across um, when when you're in that process, and then the couple music to it, and and the couple you know a riff or a groove or whatever to it that sort of speaks to that same sort of idea, it becomes it blooms and it grows, mm-hmm. you know. Being in the middle, like politically speaking, mm. or or is that what you're talking about? No, 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 no. not not particularly po- politically. Uh, right. I'm just like, you know, some people live on the extremes of any given situation, um, way way out in, you know, fuck it land, and then there's somebody that lives in like, well, let's just keep keep keeping on and just keep moving and keep doing it and. I often found myself between those two states. And I think that a lot of people find themselves between those two states. I don't think that um, we're not as liberal as we are conservative. If you want to take it into political terms, I don't think that we are, you know, we are, you know, you may be, I don't know, against, you know, abortion, Mm -hmm. but if, you were in that situation, you'd have to consider it. Right. You know? Um, so there are two extremes to that. There's like there's ideo- ideological extremes and then there are real world, in real life situations. Realities. Right. Yeah. So you can live in between the two of those constantly. We all do. Yeah. We all do. We all say that when we, you know, we see someone who is houseless or homeless on the street and you think think of yourself think to yourself what a shame mm-hmm. as opposed to the person who's actually living on the street who's like what am I going to do next right you know what I mean yeah I'm always like there but for the grace of God go I right. that's like you know and I think and I believe that right and I think people uh, I think people realize that their situation is transitory because mm. yeah they're for, but for the grace of god they're but for one con ed bill right am i out in the street and there's that guy who missed that con ed bill who's living on the street right imagine what he's thinking when he sees you right <laughs> you know yeah um so that's it, it, a uh it's a perspective that we very rarely talk about out loud mm-hmm. we say it we we give platitudes to it, but there's an emotional context to it that you have to you have to get to. And I'm hoping that I can do that as a songwriter. How do you get to that? You have to you have to dis, you have to suspend your notions of where you are right now. Now, if I, yeah, you can say there, but for the grace of God, go I and 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 you can 
spin that out and say, okay, what if I didn't have what I had? If I didn't have a career, if I did not have the mental capacity for certain kinds of thought, would I be that person or would I be somebody else? And to spin that whole thing out and take that idea out to its to what your logical uh, result would be, it takes it takes some it, t- it takes some it takes some doing. And when you see it and then you hear it in your head and you put it down on paper or you pick up a guitar and, and you you make a sound that reflects that, or you sit in front of a piano or wherever you do your drums, whatever it is, and you make a sound that reflects that, that's the art, you know. Where did you grow up? Brooklyn in Crown Heights. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and your family was in the theater, like into theater, or your my, your siblings. My siblings were were were. My brother was a singer, and my sister was an actress mm-hmm. and a spoken word artist. And um, they are, you know, I'm the youngest of three kids, and there's a big gap between me and the and them. So how many years? Almost ten years, over ten years with my sister, like almost ten years with my brother. Um, so, Were you an accident? Yes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Afterthought. Yeah, no. The, the story. I asked my father that one happens. time. I asked my father, and he said, "What happened?" I said, "She woke me up." <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was your mom's fault. She, uh, he he was putting it on his mom's. My mother told me the real story, and I, I don't want to get into it. Uh-huh. But uh, needless uh-huh. to say, it was you know it was a passionate sort of affair um, that caused me to to show up. And that's cool. Um, so I observed. I was an observer of my teenage brother and sister doing the thing that I eventually became what I got made a career of and uh, watching them go through it. And I was like, I was fascinated by it and it became sort of second nature. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what an actor does. That's what a singer does. That's how they do that. And I, you know, for all intent and purposes, my family was very middle class, very respectability, very much so. Them doing that was not, it, they come from a certain era. Like, yeah, you can do that, but get a job. Right. <laughs> you know, get a real job. You know, my father told me one time I was, when I was a teenager, like, you know, acting is a very tenuous business. Like, mm-hmm. two things. Thank you. And what does tenuous mean? <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> right. <laughs> Insecure. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a very it's a very shaky sort of business. Right. So what did he do? He was a tax assessor for the state of city of <laughs> yeah. New York. So he was really like like math was his life, and he knew numbers, and he knew it, it was a solid job, it was a city job. It's like he he had he knew. He knew what it was to 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 struggle, you know. My father, born in the depression and um, in Harlem, and dealing with that whole thing and series of jobs and trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And found he found himself. He knew he was had an aptitude for math, and 
he found himself something that really was solid and really made it made a difference for him whereas my mother up until the point that I was I came along was a homemaker mm. you know had odd jobs would do odd jobs like a seamstress she worked in um she worked in a supermarket as a, a as a butcher's assistant cutting meat and that kind of stuff she did all kinds of like little jobs but but they the whole idea was you have to have income coming in you know the idea of you sitting around waiting for a job is not what happens mm. you got to go out and get yourself a job you know it's like yeah i'll get myself an acting job <laughs> he said like no no that's that's not the way it works you'll see you'll see but get yourself a job so strong work ethic yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i think for all of us all of us came from that kind of background um for, in a different in a different way will and i are, the, are basically the same age and come from a same similar sort of background where his parents were were working class work a day folks and but his brother was a drummer and that's what he wanted to do hmm. you know uh muzzy's family he came from a really big family out in queens but his he had members of his family that were musicians he's like that's what i want to do hmm. you know but his f- father was a fireman his, his mother was a homemaker and she did odd jobs and, and that kind of stuff so we had very similar sort of uh family backgrounds but what we had what that taught us was you have to work at it all the time you have to make sure that you're working at something you know um uh when i i was when i was going to school it's was, it was like okay my parents were like okay you want to be an actor then go to acting school <laughs> learn what you're doing so that you can so that, that so it's not something that you're doing sort of like lackadaisically and something that you're doing just to do that you have an aptitude for it, you know? And you went to school for it? I did, I went to, I, uh, like I said, I was in, in high school, I was in uh, a school of the arts, and I took, and when I got into college, I tried to continue that, and then I started working, and, and working was much more important than going to school to me, and then I just dropped out. Working in the field working, of acting. Yeah, exactly. I was working as a doing commercials and voiceover stuff and 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 some theater stuff. So I I was working. I was a working actor. So like school, I can learn on a job. Right. You know, it's the best way to learn. Yeah. Like that's why I tell people who want to learn how to sing. I'm like, just go start doing gigs. Right. Right. Doing it live is the best education. Sometimes. Open mics can be really, really educational. Mm-hmm. Really educational. You'll know exactly where you fit in a particular place. If you go to some open mic over Black Pussycat, or you go to Cafe Wa, or you go over to, over to Bleecker Street to any any one of those clubs on Bleecker Street, and 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 just bitter sit end. in. Yeah, the bitter end. Sit in there and watch it. Go, watch it go down, and then try to get up there and, and do it. It's a lot of work. It's work. What was your first acting gig? First acting gig was a commercial for the Children's Aid Society. Uh-huh. It's on YouTube somewhere. Right. I'm playing drums oh, okay. and singing. Um, and uh, that was my very first acting gig. Um, and then I got stuff, I don't remember, like Ragu Pizza Quick Sauce. Uh-huh. So you had an agent getting yeah, your auditions? Yeah, I had an agent and a manager, yeah. And I was going on auditions every other day. Um, 
And how'd you get that? The agent and the manager, the manager, I was working as about 14 or 15 years old. And I was working at a summer camp in my neighborhood as a counselor. Um, and this theater company came through looking for, uh, participants in the, in, in these, in this theater sort of workshop sort of idea, but they needed counselors to supervise the kids. So I was one of the supervisors as a 14 year old. I don't know how I was, who I'm supervising. The kids were young like a year older than I, a year younger than I was. So mm -hmm. it really didn't make a difference, but they saw something in me and the theater company had a management company attached to it. And the management company was very interested in having me around. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild that an acting agent would come to a summer camp. Yeah. Well, you know, there's like, it's a pool of talent. You get looking for a pool of talent for like a theater. Like it was an urban theater sort of like thing. It's called Acting by Children, um, where they wrote, produced, and put up these shows. They made, they did the music, they did the, they did the, the, uh, the script that they they did the production it was all done by this sort of company and the company also had an arm of it like the people who ran it directors found that they had people with a lot of talent so they wanted to 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 see if they could get these kids work mm. so they became a management company and then they so we were freelancing through agents and and we got work a lot of us got a lot of work out of that that's wild yeah and was platoon like the first big movie role is by yeah yeah this is the first really really big movie role and again this is all all circumstantial like the becoming an actor was something i wanted to do and its circumstances surrounded me that i got the, got the thing platoon was a, uh it was a thing that's been running it was around for years like people were trying to make this movie and i auditioned for it a couple of times and i auditioned once and got a call back and they were like okay we'll let you know and then you know the acting community was for was pretty small so I knew the guy I knew a guy a friend of mine actually got the role that I'm that I eventually got and we were like yeah okay great Kadeem got it well, well that's 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 great um but he got a, offered to do some work in L.A. He got offered a TV series in L.A. And it was like, would you rather do a TV series or go to the Philippines for a couple of months in the jungle and play a soldier? Mm. He's like, no, I'm going to L.A. Right. <laughs> so he went to L.A. And, and backed out of the role. And so I got a phone call one morning. Um, and my manager's like, they're considering you for the, this role in Platoon. Do you have your shots? Yeah, I got my shots. Um, okay, I'll call you back in a second. Do you have your shots? Yeah, because we're going in the Philippines. He's like, you have to get the malaria shots and that, all that shit. Why did you have your shots? Because I, I, I'd, a couple, like a year or so before that, I'd left the country, went to England. And at that time, like you had to, they want to make sure that you had, if you were going into another country, you make sure that you had right. all your shit together. So I, I, I was covered in that way. Um, there's a few things I didn't have, but they wanted to make sure that I, 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 had, I was healthy enough to do it. Then they called me back and they said, okay, so we're working out some particulars 
but she'll be leaving on next week. Okay. And call me back again and say, okay, we worked out all the particulars. We got all the things together. The shots you don't have, you'll get there. You're leaving tomorrow. Right. So I had to tell my family and tell all my loved ones that two things. I got a, go- I got a job. Three things. I got a job. It's in the Philippines. I'm leaving tomorrow. Like, I had to go tell Vernon, like, because the band was up and running at this point. You were already the lead singer. I was already the lead Like, I got the job. I got the job as the lead singer of the band. And I was like, I had to tell him, um, I'm going to be gone for at least two months. So, you know, hold my spot. <laughs> How did he Don't react? Don't call the other guy. <laughs> they actually did call the other guy because they had a gig. And they were... Uh, <laughs> They had a gig in Germany somewhere, and was he pissed? He was not pissed. He was happy that I got a job, right? You know, and that's how you got the job in Living Color. Yeah, exactly. The guy didn't. Want yeah, exactly. To go. exactly. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so um, that's the thing with success is it's you know it's a it's a scrap fight. It's yeah. like people don't realize it's like. You know, it doesn't come all like neat and bow tied. No, hell know? no, no, right. no, not at all. We, we, you know, and you know, this, there was always there was always a struggle to to where the next thing was going to be. And you always you couldn't plan it. It was mm-hmm. like it was going to pop up on you at any given point in time. Someone's going to show up and say, "I want you to do this. Can you do it right now?" Yeah, but you kept your avenues open. You weren't set, so you were in living color, and you were still pursuing acting. And right. it's sort of the the priority was whatever comes up, whatever comes up, whatever 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 works at that particular point. Um, and so I spent three months in the Philippines, um, and I came back and went right back to work with Living Color. Um, you gotta have a crazy Charlie Sheen story. Oh, there's plenty of Charlie Sheen stories. That I, 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 nothing. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out ones that, that I won't get sued for. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, he, Charlie was just starting at the time. Like he was just beginning his acting career. Like, and he was like in in his early twenties as well. And, and all of us were. Johnny Depp was in that movie. Forrest Whitaker's in that movie. Um, well, there's Willem and and Tom Berenger. They were the established guys, but. You know, Johnny was just some kid from Florida. Hmm. You know, that's wild. You know, he was just he he had he had done one movie, I think, a couple movies before that. But his success was in Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. You know, he did that. That was his. That was where he was. Where his success was. Twenty One Jump Street. And then he came back home and did Twenty One Jump oh, Street. Okay, that wasn't yet. Yeah, what didn't happen wow. yet. That's interesting. Um, Who directed Platoon? Oliver, Oliver Stone. Stone. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. It's well, his story. It's about him. Charlie Sheen is play, basically playing him at, at his age. That's wild. What was it like working with him? He's nuts. He's yeah. Straight <laughs> up? He's batshit. Which version of batshit? There's so many varieties. Already a 20-something batshit? No. He, no, Oliver, Oliver Stone. Oh, Oliver Stone. Sorry. Oliver Stone, you know, up until that point, his only other directing thing was Salvador. Mm. But he was a writer for a bunch of stuff. He wrote parts of Scarface. He uh right. He did a bunch he was a bunch of, to live and die in LA. He was doing he was a writer for a bunch of a bunch of these movies. So 
Kind of like Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. Yeah. So he was pretty pretty much a new director, but he had so much attitude. Like he like, and you, you kind of knew he was faking it till he made it. Right. But he did. He wouldn't let you know. He was going to show you that he was didn't know what the fuck he was doing sometimes. Right. And but he did it anyway. Yeah. That's what makes him great, though, yeah. is that he bends rules and doesn't <laughs> care. Like, does not care. It's just all over the yeah. shop. All, yeah, and like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But damn it, you're going to listen to me. Yeah. What, like, with the success of Living Color and then on top of that, Platoon, <laughs> what, what was going through your mind? Like, I could make a living at this. Yeah. I could do this for a living. I could really do this. I could. This is not out of the realm possibility for me to be a working actor musician. Beyond that though, you had tremendous success in both things, which people like struggle for lifetimes to get (laughs) and don't get. Right, and- So were you like pinching yourself, going like, what the fuck? Were you feeling like the luckiest person in the world? Yeah, it was strange to me on a lot of occasions is like, um, you know, doing the Stones tour. Like, this is the biggest tour in the world at, at that particular point in time. Yeah. And it's, we're playing on stages like the size of a city block and, and all of this stuff. And then I go home to my room. Right. At your parents' house. <laughs> at my parents' house. <laughs> yeah. That at one point I shared with my brother. Yeah. It's like, this is a weird life. This is a very strange life. I'm gonna live a very strange life yeah. where there where there are these moments where extreme adrenaline yeah, back and to normalcy. I was uh in the blink of an eye. We had a break between in in, in a tour and I came home and I put my bags down and my mother handed me a bucket of paint and a paintbrush and said, Go paint the stoop. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of the fuck kind of life do I have? Right. It's like I was like literally felt like a superhero. It's like my alter ego is mild mannered Corey Glover, the guy who lives in on Brooklyn Avenue painting stoops, you know. And t- then he turns into this other guy with the green wetsuit, jumping around and yelling at people. When did you move out? At that point, you must have been rolling in cash. I, 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 it's funny. Um, I, I, uh, when the tour ended, I got an apartment with my brother, literally around the corner from just, the just, house I grew up in. Just get your own damn place and move into the damn city. My mother, damn. My, my parents, like, got, you're my parents a rock like, star and a movie star. It's like, my parents like, yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Austin has a, has an apartment and we got it for you, and it's just, it's a it's a two story walk up around the corner from 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 us, like so I could literally look out my window and see my backyard. So, I lived there for like a year and a half, and this is it, I, it, I I don't say this to brag, but um, I got a phone call from the band's manager, and they were like, "Did you?" Paint the stupid. No, did you cast the check for the Stones tour? Mm. Mm, I don't know, because they don't ha- they don't have it on their records that you cast a check. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. All right. Turns out it was a big ass check. 
So I was like, hey, I got a lot of money now. Let's go, I'm go find an apartment. So I moved. that's when I moved out. When I realized I had that whatever money I had was not as much as money as I thought I had. And I had a lot more money than I thought I had. And I was like, I don't have to live here with my brother. And I moved out. Right. Yeah. Where'd you move? It's, it's further into Brooklyn. I, but I got myself a giant loft apartment that I skateboarded and be- played basketball in. That's what I need. <laughs> it's like, I love that apartment. That apartment was huge. It was a brand new apartment. It was, it was a former toy factory that they had chopped up and turned into loft apartments. And I lived there for about 12 years. And I loved, I loved that apartment. Loved that apartment. Did you deal with envy from family members regarding your success? To a, to a degree, you know. Um, because I am the youngest in right. my family at the time. Yeah. Um, I w- they always thought at the time. No, what, I, I they had no. They didn't have any more kids. Kept going. They didn't keep going, but they had <laughs> other. But my my sister and my brother started having kids who were like. Right slightly younger than I am, yeah. you know? So they were like, well, you've always been the golden child and everybody loved you and you always got the breaks and everybody, you got whatever whatever you wanted, Corey got. Like, yeah, don't think that I didn't work for this shit. Please don't think I didn't work for this because I did. I worked really hard for this. And and it there's a lot of sweat equity I put into making myself and making the things that I put, that I decided I was going to do that I was going to get it done. There's there's something to be said about having some sort of ambition. And I had friends who were, I had actor friends was like, oh, so now you're going to be a musician and you're going to be successful at that too, huh? It's like, I used to hate it when you came into auditions because I knew I wasn't going to get the part. But now, now you decide you want to be a musician. So what are you going to do? And that was always the question. Which do you like more? You want to be an actor? Do you want to be a musician? It's like, I want to be both. I want to do both. Um, I don't want to limit myself in my in what I can and can't do. And if that makes me different and makes me special, so be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People ask me a lot, like, do you do I prefer painting or music? Right, right. And I, I, they're equal to me. Yeah. I, I love them both. Absolutely. Like, I consider them one thing, too. It's kinda. art. I, yeah. What I do is art. Right. I, you know, what I do is, in the same way a chef makes food that, you know, for the most part, people are going to consume some of it and not all of it. And But it's their art. It's their, their creation. It's their things that they made for you to enjoy. What was it like touring with the Stones? Weird. It was strange in that we hadn't been in that kind of environment before. Right. We had never, we'd never really gotten, never been on a tour where, you know, anything you wanted was a a walkie-talkie away. Mm. That, you know, that you had a, some of our dressing rooms were bigger than the places we played up until that point. Right. Um, and here we are doing this thing with these, with these people who are really, really, really generous to us and really, really nice to us. Cause we, we had a relationship with, with Mick Jagger cause he helped produce our demos. Right. Um, and part of the reason why we were on the, on the tour was because of our relationship to, to him. But 
everybody in in the whole band and everybody in the crew was really really accommodating and really really nice to us we didn't know what the hell we was doing we was trying to figure it all out and they were they were very very helpful and very very uh scholarly like it's letting us know do that don't do that make sure that that happens and don't make and don't make the mistakes we made you know so they took you under their wing absolutely Absolutely. Did you have imposter syndrome during that Absolutely. Time? Yeah. I still have imposter syndrome yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> right this very second, I have imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Ryan likes to say, I'm, I, I, I'm the most reluctant rock star he's ever met in his life. Like, because of, you know, I paint stoops, you know. Right. And because I go from this grand from feast to famine from like these major sort of things and i've been brought up by um people who are very very you know work a day kind of folks that kind of thing is weird to me that that life is kind of weird to me like i like being at home and just plopping in front of the television and watching tv when it's time to work, it's time to work. That's not a, that's not the issue. But and when I do it, I think I do it very well. But it's not the totality of me, you know. I think some people put on the on this this cloak of rock star or movie star, and in their quiet moments, they don't know what to do with themselves. Right, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I have a perspective where this who I am in my home or on the subway or wherever I am is my real life. You know, I, I, I jump into a phone booth, put on my cape, and then I go out and do my rock star thing or my movie star thing. And, and that's where I'm doing it. That's what I'm doing right now. And then I take it off, put my glasses back on, and I'm mild-mannered Corey Glover who lives down the block, you mm-hmm. know. So there's a major part of me that feels sometimes like that's the other guy, <laughs> you know, right. that's not that. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if I, I, I try to delude myself into thinking that's grounding, but sometimes it, it, it conflicts in its on its own and it sort of crashes in on itself right. when, you know, the mailman wants an autograph right <laughs> you know yeah. it's it, it, um it's it, it or what do you mean it crashes into itself it's it's like we where my alter ego has to be the rock star like i'm somebody's father mm. <laughs> you know right and i can't be and if they're at the gig, the rock star has to be their father. Right. You know? Yeah. Not their father has to be their father. It's like, it's that guy has to be their father now. Hmm. Um, or you're, you know, sitting in a restaurant and somebody goes, oh my God, ah, da, 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 da. it's like, yeah, I'm 
eating. Um, but don't you enjoy that a little to bit? A, to a degree, but you know you can't control that. Right. It's not a, it's not something that you can control. You can't control how other people act and how other people react to you. Right. So that's where acting will help you. Sometimes, yeah. and sometimes I'm not in the mood to act, and sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm in yeah. sweats, and you know, and and I'm trying to do something other than be a rock star at that particular point in time. And, right. And sometimes that world sort of collides in on itself, and somebody's like. But you are a rock star. But you are that person. And it's like, yeah, I'm that person on the stage. I'm, I'm, uh, not that I'm very different than that person, but he's a lot calmer. <laughs> and he's not, um, he's not really being, he's not trying to be as gregarious and, and outgoing sometimes. Because, you, you know, you want to be in a quiet space sometimes in a room full of people. And they want you to be that other person. And sometimes you don't want to do that. I've learned how to, to navigate it at this point. Yeah. And know that, okay, here it comes. Time to put it on. Not even put it on, but time to bring that, bring that part of you out. Particularly when you, don't, you weren't thinking about doing it. It's like, okay, I got to get to that point. I have to work myself into that point. How do you do that? Just, you have to think about it. You have to think about what who you are who you are talking to and what you're talking about you know i can you know i can't go to my kid's school as a rock star mm. you know cuz i want cuz the teacher wants to talk about his attendance <laughs> you know i have to you know i have to be very resolute and very uh very straightforward with that whereas in a in in a musical thing or in a gig situation, it's a lot it's a lot looser. It's a lot looser. Yeah, you, you gotta pull. It's like to be in you know musician mode. You can let you can let it go. And when you're in situations where you're not in that, you can't you can't do that. You can't go to the supermarket. You know jumping up and down and screaming, you know? Right. Yeah, I just did this whole museum takeover where I lived in a museum for the last two and a half weeks. Yeah, and was hosting loads of people coming through. Right, right, people just coming through. Yeah, yeah and that's just a trip because also that kind of attention, there's something, it, it, it can be annoying and it can be like, you know, I need space, but also then when it all goes away. You miss it. Yeah, yeah. You, you miss it, and then you got to, like, figure out, okay, how do I, like, kind of, like, ease back into normalcy? What, right. do, you, what do you do, like, at the end of a tour or movie or something like that to, to get yourself in I that go, transition? I go home. I yeah. go home, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, fortunately, I, I have more than just one room. Right. Now. I have a kitchen that I like to, to sit in and cook. And, I cook, too. Yeah. And, I love cooking. You know. It's it's a situation where, you know, there's a situation when there's all eyes on you and a situation where there's nobody watching you. Right. And there's nobody scrutinizing whatever it is that you're doing in yeah. some way, shape, or form. And that brings all things down. It just calms everything down. Right. You know, that I'm not worried about anybody's gaze. I'm not 
considering anybody's thought of this action will cause them to think that this is what what I am because it's not what I am, you know. And then there are times when you like, I need to go back and in front of people. I have to be in front of somebody. I need mm-hmm. to be in front of somebody, you know. Yeah, Neil Young has that line on on the beach. I need a crowd of people. I just can't face them day to day. <laughs> right, exactly. Fucking love that. That's a perfect. That, that nails perfect. it. You exactly. Know? I need a crowd of people. I can't face them day to day. <laughs> you know, that kind of nails it. Absolutely, absolutely. Did you actively manifest? your success or did it just have like you know that whole thing about visualizing the secret and all that like i think about that kind of shit a lot like abraham hicks Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you're familiar with her Mm -hmm. but just those people that talk about manifesting and like you know feeling your dream and creating the those realities how much how much uh stock do you put into that completely i think that that you know um part of my upbringing was with my brother and sister who were like 60s 70s sort of self actualization sort of things like okay. that they could say you say what you believe you can achieve that right. what you say that you want to do you do mm-hmm. and if you feel like this is what you want to do, the universe will wrap itself around itself to make that happen for you. Right. And all you have to do is be accepting of whatever comes that way. Right. Whether Because it will sometimes be difficult. It's a di- sometimes some of these things are difficult things to do. So there'll be difficulties to get to that point. Right. Except the fact that it's going to be difficult. Right. Except the fact that the reward that that the work has rewards. Except the rewards. You know that was part of you were talking that's about hard a, to do. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's, 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 it really it's, is. It really is hard to to say. You have to feel like you deserve exactly. And then you're dealing with you know eons worth of toxic shame. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Now, dig this. If you are a young, middle class, black rock star, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you're dealing with with that. Right. Probably a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt. And, you know, I got friends that are that are that are other musicians i got friends that are in other genres of music and, and i got friends of mine that are hip-hop kids i got friends of mine that are jazz folks i got friends of mine that that are theater actors i got friends of mine that are commercial actors um i got friends that are plumbers you know and you have and i, I got friends that are activists and how do you straddle that line where they look at you as something different, something other than, mm. you know? Um, what do you mean? You are not struggling. Oh, okay. You are not, you don't look like you're struggling. Right. When you are. Right. And they can't understand when you're struggling when you're on a giant stage in a stadium. Yeah. They don't understand that, um, 
that you understand that I understand their position vis-a-vis something political, something social, something musical, something artistic, that I understand that, but I'm not of that. And that, 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 I, can be, that I can be set aside as something, as an exception, not the rule. And being cognitive of that puts you in a very weird position, puts you in a very strange place. Like, am I down for the cause? Am I not down for the cause? You know, um, I am, for a lot of folks, there, because I happen to be in doing something musically that is not considered. Of your culture. Mm, and that I have to, A, have to educate them is that this is as much my culture and a part of my culture and yeah. my history as anybody else's, but that. I'm trying to do, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a white boy. Mm. You know, it's like no, I am very much of my uh, of my station, of my neighborhood, of my culture, of all of those things, and the struggle is to having to explain that to somebody. Right, and how do you do that? And how do exactly? How do you make that? And if somebody's a hater saying you're trying to be a white boy, yeah. then fuck them. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, but when they're people that you respect, right? Okay, so I, that happened, huh? Yeah, you know. And and what's that conversation like? Uh, one time I was, I was, uh, I'd been in this uh, singing group when I was in high school. Basically, we we never left the hallway or or the basement of somebody's house singing, and I just got in a band and. I told him what I was doing is like, when are you gonna stop doing? This? When are you gonna stop doing this bullshit and make some real music? Jump cut. Like That's the, what they said to you. Yeah, yeah. It's like they jump cut a year later. They see me on MTV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> real enough for you now, <laughs> right? Um, and what they mean real, just not rock and roll. Or rock and roll is rock and roll was not wasn't yours. Right, it didn't belong to you. How That's pretty you. ironic because yeah. it, it, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Like, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. It yeah. absolutely does. Hello, and Chuck it, Berry. Right. I and, mean. And, if, and if you listen to what we're doing, right. you see that we, are, we infuse everything about us and our, and our African-Americanness and our Caribbeanness and everything about us that's black into what we do. Right. So, you know, looking at from the outside, from the outside looking in, is one thing and you find that sometimes you f- you find people that don't want you to be successful not su- just just successful but not but that too but but <laughs> it comes with it but they yeah. don't want you to be an empathetic figure oh that's interesting that you that, that they don't want to have to understand you they want to take the look at your surface and say that's who you are right that they don't want to make efforts to get to know who you are, and it, and even if it takes even even if it's three layers deep, you'll find it's much more than 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 I'm just some guy who thinks that everything comes to him easily. That there's much more to it than that. There's right. much more to the feeling 
of and the uh, and the emotion that comes with that that they don't really that some people don't get sometimes. They don't want you to be an empathetic figure. Right. Right. Why would I be an empathetic figure? I'm a man. I'm I'm, I'm doing something that that's very different. I am um I I you know, I don't understand how I I'm, I obviously couldn't understand what real people are going through cuz right. you cuz you don't live a real life. But the division there um is if somebody has their own dream and passion that they're working towards, mm. they will view someone like you as an inspiration. Yeah. If somebody doesn't, then they would lay that trip on you. Absolutely. So and they it's, have. it's really just about like, you know, if somebody has their own passion and drive, they can then take what you, take what you're doing as a jumping off point and be inspired by it. Absolutely. And people have, and then lots of people have done it and lots of people have, used the blueprint that we sort of put out there and yeah. done it, you know, that, you know, I don't think that, that Rage Against the Machine would work to a large degree if if we didn't lay the groundwork in us and the, and the Bad Brains and, and PE and whoever else right. that, that did something different did. Um, there's this uh, younger cat named Hiro the Hero. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And it's a sort of like a cross between... Us and rage. Mm. It's a and it's amazing. It's amazing. And put a little Slayer thrown in there just for good measure. Right. It's amazing. He does some amazing stuff. Um, we did this. Hiro the hero. Hiro the hero. Yeah, he's great. New. Look, look it up. Okay. He, I think he's got two records out now, but check him out. Hiro's amazing. Um, we did this thing, and we met this this band from uh, Texas, from Houston. Name called We Are Band Nerds. It's the same again, the same kind of thing. It's very interesting. That's their name. Yeah, We Are Band Nerds. Yeah, it's kind of great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're great. It's one of those so bad it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but they, but they're they're amazing live, and they're amazing. They make put out some really interesting music, and if there's interesting music out there for you, for anything that you want to think about, anything that you want to feel, it's out there for you. How did you deal with? Um, it getting quiet after all the, you know, the big explosion and then it kind of like, you know, that's the thing with success yeah. is it's it's not forever. Right. You know, or at least not to that degree. How how did you land that? Because I had, because I had the alter ego, I had some place to go. Oh, right. That's, you know? that's real good. I had some place else to go. Mm-hmm. I had some place else where I could be relatively normal. And, and content and, and and very happy with that and and not worry about that thing that thing is always going to be there that right. other thing is always going to be is always going to be hovering over my head so that separation was real helpful it was kind of helpful it was kind of you could just like hang up your superman cape exactly for a <laughs> just or, be clark kent right green jumpsuit yeah i could take that wetsuit off you right. know and and do something else like get married and have kids and yeah. and, and have start a, a metal band and start start other With bands. George Lynch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's and your new project is metal too, isn't it? Yeah, I got disciples, it. disciples of Verity. It's a that's re- the thing with George Lynch. No, that's uh, oh, is U- it? Ultraphonics is the thing with George Lynch. Oh, okay. I did this other thing recently called uh, Disciples of Verity, 
It's a real, it's real, real metal, real like, it's the most metal thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and I love that, love it. These guys, Who's that with? Um, guys from uh, Negative Sky and uh, drummers from a band called God Forbid. Like, you can tell by the names of the band mm-hmm. what kind of music it is. So, um, it's that kind of thing, and we just, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Is that out? It's it. The single's out now. We're trying to get the record out by the spring, but yeah, the single's out there now. Is um, and, and and it's just, you know, I. That's the other thing is like with there being some downtime, it gives me a chance to go explore all the other things I want to do mm. as well, and not to the degree that I have to do it with Living Color because Living Color is going to be there and I do and I still do the Living Color thing and I, we still go out and play and we still we still make make a, a whole bunch of noise and we still do what we do but there are other other parts of me that want to express themselves and there's metal things is that there are you know soul music there's there you know reggae all kinds of stuff that I, other other musical landscapes that I want to want to traverse in some way and some and somehow yeah, before we go into these new projects, I wanted to ask you though about like what it was like getting produced by Mick Jagger. Yes, thank you, Joe. That was and how that happened. Yeah. Um. We um. Our current bass player, Doug, um. Was working with Jagger. Doug Wimbish. Doug Wimbish, the Doug Wimbish. Legendary. Absolutely. Shout out, Doug Wimbish. One of the project. He's don't our know. next guest. That's uh, I gotta track him down. I'll give you his number. Um, he's one of the progenitors of hip hop. Nobody really gets that. Like he's part of the Sugar Hill Gang. He was like the band that played on all those tracks. That's right. Doug. All those bass lines, all those grooves that you felt like that made you want to move your ass. That's Doug Wimbish. Which tracks? Um, Rapid Light. Um, wow. That's uh, like one of the first. Yeah, um, he he, uh, his his CV is so big I can't remember what it right. is. Right, um, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's you all had good. Us at. The message. Yeah, that's fine. It, yeah, you know that's Doug. Right. You know, um, but he was working with Jagger, and Jagger wanted another guitar player on his record in the tour with him, and we've known Doug for a long time and Doug suggested Vernon. Mm-hmm. Vernon was the up and coming guy at that particular point in time. And he was, he, he came down, he, he said he wanted him to come to this audition uptown. So me and Vernon went and when, why'd you go? I don't know. Cause I was some sort of emotional support pet or something. That's I don't funny. know what it was, but you must've been excited. I to was exactly. Yeah, it was fun. It was going to be fun. So we, you a Stones fan? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got there, and they stopped rehearsal, and Jagger came out to talk to us. It's like I heard a lot about you guys. I hear you guys are doing really well. I really, re- I'm really happy, but I really think you're going to be very successful. So thank you very much. We're playing at CB's next Friday. You want to come down? Who, did you ask him? Yeah. <laughs> How did he hear of you already? <laughs> he, um, you were struggling. Well, we, but. You know, we had a lot of write-up because Vernon was Vernon had done the the Black Rock Coalition, which was getting a lot of press, and um, a bunch of writers had come check him out and talk to him. So there was there was some buzz about him and the band. 
And so he came down to that show at CBGB's with Jeff Beck. That's to check, crazy. <laughs> to check out the band. And it's like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. It's, uh, that's amazing. Great. A couple weeks later, he says, is there anything I can do to help you guys? Just let me know. Like, whatever you got, whatever you want to do. Want to throw us some money? That'd be great. <laughs> Dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but he said, I'm working at the studio in here in the city, working on my record. I rented out the whole studio. There's some rooms left over. Why don't you come down after I've finished what I'm doing and we'll do some demos and see if that helps you get a deal. And we did. We did. That's crazy. And he. I mean, he doesn't. Has he ever done that before? I don't know. Or since? I, I don't think he's done it since. But yeah. what were the demos? He did "Which Way to America," "Glamour Boys," and something else. He did. Um, I think it was no, it wasn't. I want to know. Um, but I know it was. I know it was um, "Which Way to America" and "Glamour Boys." And this, those are two songs he he really liked. And later on, we got him to play harmonica on "Broken Hearts." It's great harmonica player. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing harmonica He's amazing. <laughs> um, he's an underrated songwriter, I think. Absolutely. You know. Angie is, is an incredible song. Incredible. Beast of Burden. Those <laughs> lyrics are insane. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but he's very, he's very hands-on, and he, he, he was very concerned that we were, that we didn't, we didn't wear ourselves out. Like he could tell we were all excited and that we were like, okay, let's get it done. Let's go. He's like, all right, relax, calm down. We'll get it done. Take our time. Let's not rush it. Let's make sure it's right. And, and uh, sage words of wisdom from him. That was great. Did you guys listen? Oh, absolutely. And until he left. (laughs) And then we were like, ah, What were some of his musical suggestions? Did he make those, or was it more spiritual, like just confidence? Just confidence. Giving you guys confidence. The the, the songs are there. The songs are there. Let's just make sure that we we do it in a way that's concise. Right. That's, we don't have to, we don't have to show everything. It's just a record. Right. You can show everything you got later on. Right. Let's get the basics down. Let's get, let's make sure that, that it's, the bones and, and the muscles of this song are there. Yeah. And everything else is just gravy. Right. You know? Yeah, having that attitude of like, you don't have to show everything. Right. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's right. just a record. Right. All these things facilitate creativity. Absolutely. And really. all those other things get in the way. I have right. to show everything. It has to be perfect. Yeah. You're done. It's not going to work. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah. Yeah. I never understand that phrase. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the best part of something is the mistakes you hear. Right. Always. Flops. Yeah. Always. It's true. You hear you you hear the stick hitting the ground on on, on a take is like, damn it, I get can't do that. Like no, that's what makes it real. That's what yeah. makes it human. Right. It's not a machine doing it. It's not some. It's it, it's it's the human expression that's happening. That's making that happen. That made you break. Your voice break at a certain point in the song. It's like yeah. it's not that's not perfect. That's not good, but it's but it is right. But it's right. It may not be perfect. It may not be good. But it's right. Yeah, you know, it helps the song. Who signed Living Color? Uh, Epic Records. Epic. Yeah. And was there a bidding war or sort of? We we'd gotten we'd had other instances before we got signed 
where other record labels were interested and they were trying to hear a single and or we had done some demos with another record company and they just they were lollygagging yeah, around yeah they were just like so it wasn't like a bidding war type of situation no no and it was like maybe maybe not right me you know we, we it's or, or the deals were umming and eyeing yeah a and ring a and R, yeah. Like yeah. some of the um, deals were like, we'll give you a record and we'll take an option on the other two, but there's no guarantees, or we can't give you a whole lot of money to make this record, so you're gonna have to do it on the cheap, and you won't be able to, you know, a lot of things you won't be able to get done immediately, and and Epic just seemed to be like, look, we like what you do, we know what you do we're going to make sure that it happens and make sure that people hear it. You know, we're going to do what we can do to make people hear it. And they did. It's interesting. Cause I remember seeing you in high school and I was a working musician already in high school. Right. So I had inside connects and I went backstage <laughs> and you were asleep on the floor <laughs> always, right before the show. Always. Really? Oh, that's an always thing. Yeah. I, I, that always stuck in my mind. I was like, he is sound asleep. Yeah. Like always like a half hour before the show. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Got to conserve that energy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I did, How do you do that? I, I, I learned, you know, Platoon actually taught me how to sleep. It's I, like I a military how, thing. I like, dig your own foxhole. I dig whatever. your own foxhole. Yeah. Or, or you, 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 you know, if you can, if you can stand, you can sit. If you can sit, you can lay down. If you can lay down, you can sleep. So if you have a moment to yourself. Tell that to me when I'm on a plane. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I. <laughs> I've, I I have the ability to fall asleep anywhere. I think it's low grade narcolepsy personally, but mm. it's um, it I can like I've fallen asleep standing up. I've I you know just make sure. We did a photo session once, and they gave us like okay, take fifteen. We're gonna be right back. <laughs> and I opened up my bag of clothes, and I got inside the bag of clothes and fell asleep. That's funny. Like I needed I needed to rest. I need to go to sleep. You know. This the the energy that it requires to do the living health thing or anything else for that matter is kinetic, so it burns up a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. So if you could find a way to calm yourself before or afterwards, so that you can be ready for that, mm. do it. Do you practice yoga or exercise, anything I, like I that? Do, I do a little exercising. I do a little vocalization. I do some vocal exercises as well that to, to make sure that this stays where, where it is and it does what it needs to do. Mm. Um, I don't exercise as much as I should. I need to. I need to exercise more because it, it, as a singer, as with all instruments and all instrumentalists and all musicians, your body is the instrument, you know me more so than than most because your whole body is what makes the sound mm. you know from the toe from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head is what makes you make that sound so you have to be it has to be in somewhat condition to be ready to do that it's not just especially touring it's yeah. athletic yeah it is it's athletic in either way anytime you have to sing you have to use certain parts of your body that you didn't realize you need to use no one knows that the backs of your legs are just as important as your as your vocal cords to, for you to sing that nobody knows that that, that your glutes or or, or 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 your stomach muscles are what hold down your 
your vocal cords or mm. that that the roof of your mouth is just as important as anything else. So the top of your head or the nasal passages are just as important for a singer as anything else is. Like hay right. fever is a killer for singers. Yeah. You know, um, any kind of allergies are a killer for singers. Yeah. You know. Can I ask one more Stones question? Absolutely. That I couldn't find the answer to. There were four legendary shows in 89 mm. in L.A. Yes. You, yes. Guns N' Roses, yes. and the Stones. Yes. And Vern was very, back then even, active, very big activist. And mm. Guns N' Roses came out with Lies, and it has one, one in a million on it. Right. And Vern, from the stage, criticized Axel. What did he actually say, and was there any backlash from GNR or? We, um, it, there was some tension. It's a famous story. I just good don't question. Know the details. No, good. <laughs> there was some. There was some tension. There was some tension backstage. You know, because Axel was there. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, was it the first show or the last show? When it did he this, do it? It was the first show. First show. Okay, first, so first of four. First, first show. Of what did Vernon say? It's like. Um, I think I can't remember exactly what he says. It was like, you know, there are a lot of people on the stage, and there's a, there's a lot of things have been said on the stage, but I'm here to tell you we're here to stay, and nothing's going to stop us from doing that. Now, the backstory was we were all backstage. It's in the L.A. Coliseum. It's a giant thing. And Axel walked up to Muzzy, and said, I hear you got a problem with me. Our supposition is that Axel thought Muzzy was Vernon. Oh. He saw a black guy with dreads. He thought it was Vernon. Right. Which is in and of itself a problem. Right. <laughs> right? That's already racist. It's already. Already. <laughs> already. And Muzzy said to him, I think we should sit down and talk about it. It's like, no, I think we, I think you need to tell me what you got a problem with me with, what problem you have with me. So that's like, also talking about it. That's right. what he should have said. He's like, yeah, that's what I've said. We should talk about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like, so he's, he's up in, up in Muzzy's face and then he stormed off and went on stage and started talking shit. Oh, really? Because they went on before us. Before you? What did he say? They went on before us. I didn't know What that. did he say? I don't remember what he said. I don't, I don't recall what There's he said. There's no transcripts. That's what's yeah, yeah, yeah. killing me. I don't, I don't recall what he said. I don't, no, but did he, no, we went on before they did. But he, did, he said something to somebody, and, and so we got on the stage determined, and, and, and Vernon said what he said, and we launched into Cult of Personality and ended the show and went off and walked off. And... There was there was another sort of clash, but it was quick. Like we all passed each other, and it was like staring daggers at each other. And then they went on stage. So it was a it was a thing. I love shit like that. <laughs> and the rest of the <laughs> nights the same, no talking. We never and, and and we never spoke to each other again after really? that. Really, ever again? And, you know, and I've hung out with Slash, and I've hung out with Duff, and I've hung out with most of the band. I'm the only person I've never met. <clears throat> was Axel. So, um, and they seemed very cool. It was just, it seemed like he had an issue and he had, he was trying really hard to, to put it across. And, you know, he was really, really aggro about it. Interesting. Are you a fan? I'm a fan of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a fan of, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Axel's music personally, but, you right. know, 
I love Guns N' Roses. I love him in Guns N' Roses. I yeah. think that makes it, him and Slash make what that band is. Yeah. Know? Um, and I don't know. I don't know what it is about about that. And you know, I think we had the same sort of. We were going through the same sort of trajectory at this at that time. Mm. So, and for some people, there can be only one. You know, and if you try to to take something from somebody, if you try to get something, I feel like you're taking something from them. Right. Like so, it was. I felt like that was that was what we were dealing with. You know. Who are some of your favorite singers? What are like your influences? Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, and Michael Jackson. Right. Um, those three. Otis Redding. Yeah, the best. Yeah. Um, you know, Sam and Dave. That the, the, that's where I came from. And then when Michael McDonald, when when I got into the rock thing, it was Michael McDonald and and uh, basically anybody who sounded black to me. Right. <laughs> you know, um, Daryl Hall. Daryl Hall. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Led Zeppelin. It was like like yeah yeah okay. Because that was my, um, like, when I realized I wanted to be a rock singer, it was I saw Jesus Christ Superstar in the movies. And I saw Carl Anderson. I was like, that's what I want to do. He looks, I look like him. I want to do what he does. <laughs> and that sort of, like, informed my theater thing and my musical theater thing yeah. and and my musical thing. I, you ended up doing that. I, did, I, did, I wound up playing Judas with Carl Neely, um, Ted Neely, um, a couple of years ago, like, and that was a mind blow. That's the manifestation, thing right? Again. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. What about Prince? Prince, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, oh, he he was such a wealth of talent. Like, there's nothing I don't think he could not do. Right. And there's nothing he could not sing. And so I was a little intimidated by by Prince. Like I, I'm never gonna be able to do that kind of thing. Stevie Wonder is the same way. Mm. You know, I'm never gonna be able to sound like that. Um, I, but and it took me a minute to realize I got my own sound, and I don't have to sound like them. I don't have to. I don't have to do what they do. I can do what I do, and it's just as important and just as vital. I think. Did you ever meet Prince? Yes. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, um, first time we met him, um, it was in England, and and he's like, "I hear you boys do that thing." I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, "I don't." I, I hear I, you boys do that. Do, do, do that, that thing. thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> What's that? thing? I don't know what that thing was. Killing and, it. Yeah. <laughs> And like, like I was saying about being your alter ego, those in those moments you talk to somebody, somebody particularly famous, you can tell when they're on and when they're when they're not on. Like when they're in character. When they're in character and when they're not in character. Mm. And he started out in character and slowly stopped being that, and start slowly started talking to us like humans exactly like what means to which since what the sense i got was 
he doesn't see us as fans. He sees us as people that just like him. Contemporary. Exactly. Yeah. And that was made my heart smile. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're not doing the Prince character. You're being Prince Rogers Nelson right now talking mm. to me. You know, talk- how did how did you notice the shift or what was it? Was it a particular thing he said? It was it that how his the way he spoke like he had this thing and he was jumping and it felt like he was jumping and he's is like platitudes and he, and he had these like it felt like he had these uh go-to lines that he'd go to that he'd talk about and then he stopped doing that and then he started talking about yeah when i was coming up i was doing this that and the other and his voice went down hmm. and he's talking to me like i'm talking to you right and he and you and it was subtle but you realize he wasn't he wasn't coming at you he wasn't putting up the facade as much mm. anymore like he was taking it down to talk to you because you it, i think he sensed that we were not putting on airs or weren't or that we weren't losing our minds to be around him mm. like it wasn't it wasn't a sense of, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, it's Prince, oh my God. We're not doing that. It was right. like, yo, what's happening? How you doing? What's going on? And we're being very real with him. So he decided. To be real back. Right, exactly. That's, was it backstage somewhere? Or no, it was at some club somewhere. And it was it was in the VIP area of some club. And that's the other thing. You, you're, you're dealing with people's gaze on you. Mm. You know, like. Yeah, you're on stage. So there's a whole bunch of people behind this fucking velvet rope and they're looking at you so you gotta be on so you think you have to be on I would it, have guessed he would never he never goes off he does he does and he makes you feel it, it, that may be a persona too I don't know but it, I, the sense I got was that he took it down for us right he took it like he felt comfortable enough to take it down for us and then in subsequent times that we met him other, other times it started on the real and might have escalated to, to the character, but he but he knew that when he talked to us, when he talked to me, when he talked to Vernon, he was he couldn't do his shtick for, for us because it wasn't going to work. Right. You know. <laughs> you already saw. Right. Right. Did so, you meet Michael? No, I never met Michael. I think Vernon met Michael though. Right. Damn it, we didn't ask him about it. <laughs> Vernon tell the story like Michael Jackson called his house. And his sisters picked up the phone and didn't realize it was him. Didn't thought it was him. Thought it was some impersonator. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yeah, whatever." This guy Michael called. He's like, whatever. <laughs> Again, we're still living at home. And, you know, people like Michael Jackson calling your house. That's crazy. Did Michael want Vernon to play on something? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guitar solo and beat it is killer. Yeah. Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. How yeah. did you get linked up with George Lynch? I'm like a big, like, I, I loved Dokken Dawkin when I was a kid. Yeah, Dokken was ridiculous. Yeah, and he was ridiculous. Yeah, he is still ridiculous. Yeah, he is ridiculous. Um, Don was doing a project, another friend of mine was doing a project with uh, Angela Moore from Fishbone. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason... Fishbone was so fucking good. Yeah, they, and the original lineup is back, and they sound great. Oh, really? They sound great. That's cool. Um, but they wanted to do something else, and they wanted to get another singer. And a friend of mine, who's a stylist, Lisa, um, suggested 
me. So Poncho Tomaselli calls me. It's like, yeah, I'm doing. We're doing this project. We were doing it with uh, with Angela. But we we're thinking about trying to do something different. Maybe you could come over. It's like I live in New York. Okay, well we'll fly you in to just play some stuff for you, and see what you can do. And we're it, out to L.A. Yeah, so I went out to L.A. and subsequently went out to L.A. like six or seven more times to make this record and, and making a record out of George Lynch's garage. Was <laughs> Where did they put you up? It, it, he lives out by um, what's that? Uh, what's the amusement park? Um, Disneyland? No, Anaheim? Not, no, 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 no. He lives further north. Um, he lives near um Boone's Farm or whatever it's called. He's like he's way out in the mountains. Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm, <laughs> yeah, that's where he lives. He lives near Knott's Berry Farm. So I was out there. I was like, wow, this is another planet. This right. is a completely an, another planet. So I stayed out there and sometimes I stayed in his house, sometimes I stayed in a hotel, sometimes I stayed in I stayed in LA and drove out there. Um that was ultraphonics. Ultraphonics, yeah. Do you like it out there in LA? I like it. I was just saying, I, I, I like it for a couple of days. Yeah. You know? Especially when you're out there to work on a project yeah. like that. That's then it's great. It's a couple of days. It, the weather's nice. Everything is. It, it's it's so looks so nice. You it, rent a car, drive around. Yeah, it's beautiful. The sun sunrise, the sunsets. You can go to the beach. You can go to the mountains. You can do whatever you want. It's 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 beautiful. And then the reality of you it feels like you're living on a movie set for right. a while. Like yeah. you're in the middle of someone's, you know, melodrama. And I I don't know if I could take that for longer than a week. Right. You know? Whereas I go up to Northern California, it feels more like home to me. San Francisco mm. feels like more like home. Oakland really feels like Brooklyn to me. You mm. know? Um Yeah. So it I'd, if, if I was gonna if I was gonna move to California and live in California, I don't think I could live down in Southern California. Mm. Did what was it like working with George as compared to Vernon? Simpler. Oh, really? Yeah. Because why? George has was the music already done? And you no, just... no, 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 no. George George's experimentation was about taking things away. It's like take away all of your effects and take away all of your pedals and take away all your stuff and let's strip it down and see what it sounds like. That's interesting. Where Vernon wants to expand and expound on what his sound is. Yeah, his pedal board is insane. Is insane. It's insane. Yeah. And Doug has, everybody in the band except me has a pedal board. Right. When the drummer has a pedal board, it's a really interesting sort of situation. Yeah. What is he, triggering stuff? Triggering and stuff and, and he's he, he's hitting delays and... He's got his whole. He's got. He's got his own rig. Everybody has the has a pedal board. Everybody. So it's simpler working with George. It was simpler for that particular project. I'm sure if we did something a little more heavier or something, he'd bring out all of his stuff. Yeah. You know, and plus we were at his house, so it was. He was a lot more comfortable. And he was a lot more relaxed. Right. Like you know, he could shit in his own toilet. You know that that kind of thing. <laughs> did, did you guys tour? No. That's the. That's the. That's the ultimate shame of. Ultraphonics that we put out this record, really, 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 really good record, and didn't yeah, tour it is on it. Good. Didn't tour like we should have at least done one live show. That's all, just one, just to see what it sounded. Why like. Why didn't you tour? Everybody's 
schedules didn't didn't work out. The drummer went out, out on the road to do a uh, Broadway show, did uh, Rock of Ages. Poncho was on the road as well, and then Docking thing came up for George, and so he so we never had really had the time to get to it. And then I Living Color came up, and a bunch of other stuff came up for me. So we never could get our schedules together. That's wild. Yeah. We're going to make another record, though. We're definitely going to make another record. And when we do, we're going to tour on it. Who produced it? All of us. George George, in particular. And we just we got it all done, and we gave it to uh, this uh, engineer mixer, Bob Daspit, who is amazing to me. Right. Yeah. Are you still auditioning for acting roles and stuff like that? I haven't had an audition in a really long time. Some people just they say put just sometimes they say put yourself on tape and let me see what, what what's going on and then I don't hear anything. Like like for episodicals like some episode of SWAT they <laughs> me for like I put something on tape like I don't know what you put it on your iPhone and Yeah, yeah, did yeah. just did a quick thing and then sent it off to them. I had there was a some some Apple TV show that they were they're trying to they're trying to do and I was in the UK at the time and so there was a del- and they wanted to do put me on live with the producers via Skype so that, that was a weird one right so yeah. you still have an agent for acting with yeah. acts to, wow yeah still going I know you have to go to pick up soon and yeah. we have to wrap it up oh really like a, already is, yeah he's got a Go to school to pick up. Is there any other disciple things you want to plug before? How um, long have we been going for? An hour and a half, an hour 40. Are you kidding? Nope. <laughs> it's been like 10 minutes. I know. I know. I know. I know. No, for real. Like, that's uh, yeah. crazy that yeah, we've been going that fascinating. long. Fascinating. Yeah. How, how is that possible? To dude. <laughs> like, I honestly thought we'd been going for 20 minutes. Uh, I told him we'd be done at 1.30. It's already 1.45. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's the... That's the Felt the fastest podcast ever. Yeah, right. I don't know why. Yeah, like I'm talking, talking. When and when you talk about things that are not like topical, right? You know, when you talk about things that are going on in your mind and your soul, it kind you time does not exist. Yeah, it does not exist at all. It just becomes. Do you have a like a spiritual practice? Like, are because you, you you were raised Catholic, right? No, or, I was no? raised in a. a oh, in a, in a, Vernon was raised Catholic. Oh, okay. Um, I went to t- various churches, and there was there was always a search for something. Like, I grew up as uh, in a in a Methodist church, and then I became an altar boy, and I was always in a choir. So, um, I, there was a church directly across the street from me and I, was, I thought that was a little convenient so yeah. I'd go across the street and go I sing mean, in the choir God came to you basically <laughs> it's Pretty like much. come on it's like literally I could trip out my door into the church yeah so but I mean currently now do you have like a, like do you reach out like to God like in a prayer way or any of that kind of stuff or not I think, really I think my uh, I, I, I kind of believe that your life is a prayer Right. I think that That's you, great. I think that your your existence and your tra- traversing yourself through the world is a prayer. Right. Sometimes it's a strong prayer, and of you trying to get from one place to another, trying to do one thing or another. Mm-hmm. But I think that the universe has is working in collaboration with you. Right. And if you and if you can tune into that, good for you. Yeah. 
That's great. I love that. Yeah. Your life is a prayer. Yeah. Dude, thank you for doing this. <laughs> thank I, you. I honestly can't believe uh, I'm like a little freaked out. Did I black out during no. this or something? Like, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry it took us so long to get you on, man. No, that's yeah. fine. You were on our, on our wish list. Well, and I've been texting Vern, get me Corey's number. Yeah. <laughs> so, with this, the, the, get, Thank you so much. For the Disciples of Verity, there's a couple of songs out on YouTube. Yeah, just promote. To, just, just to look them up. Um, as Worthy and I'm Lying to Myself is the two songs that are out there right now. Go check them out. Uh, is there a website as well? I don't think there's a website. but That uh, sounds like my personal struggle. I'm yeah. worthy and I'm lying to myself. Really? That's what our conversation that's was about. Yeah, right? that's you know? perfect. Sometimes I feel like I'm lying to myself. Like, uh, yeah. do, am I really supposed to be here? You yeah. know. But if you are, if you're walking with intention, if you're working with intention, I think the world will accommodate you for that. Yeah. You know. You got to lead with faith. Yeah. That's the big deal. I mean, as opposed to fear. Yeah, well, I, I, my biggest, my, my favorite expression is feel the fear and do it anyway. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's true. Like you're gonna jump off this thing. You go. You might hurt yourself, but then again, think about the ride going down. You know. Well, the other thing too is there is no there is no way out of it because right. if you just never go towards your fears and you just like sort of like envelop yourself in silence and mm. isolation, that that's punishing. Absolutely. So there, you know, you're up against it no matter what you do. Right on. You might as well go for it. Go for it. Who, who's putting yeah. it out? Um, we're putting it out ourselves, I believe. Yeah. That's the new way. That's the way to do it. It's kind of the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless somebody wants to give you like a giant check. I will not turn down a giant check. Yeah. Me, uh, me neither, <laughs> by the way. Anyone, so it's like you walk with intention. offering a giant check. I'm in, your intention is to get a giant check. Yeah. Let's see if the universe will accommodate you to get a giant check. An album in the spring and then tour? Yes, yes, cool. absolutely. Trying to get some festival dates, trying to get some dates in the summer and get some of that done. And along with Living Color and uh, along with anything else that's, that'll come up, I have my own band, I have a, my, a band, my own stuff from my solo work and um, Vice. The name of the band is Vice. But that's been around for a while. It's been a while, for a while, yeah. I've yeah. been putting it putting out a couple of records with them as well. I also did this project with uh, this uh, engineer, guitar player, songwriter named Stevie D. It's called Torn From The Pages, Stevie D featuring Corey Glover. Okay, cool. Bunch of stuff. And when's the next uh, Living Color album coming out? That's, Anything in the works? We've been discussing the idea and um, uh, talking about who, uh, about about this place about cafe bohemia cafe bohemia and that records were made here right like the idea of us making a album in a live setting yeah would be kind of interesting to do that would be and invite us and we can do a live podcast exactly awesome. interview I'll film and interview you guys yeah. where one last question where did the name living color come from television Oh, okay the next program you're about to watch is right. living color okay the nbc thing yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. Cool, man. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Thank Thanks, you, Corey. Appreciate you. you. Yeah. Hi. 
Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.